This is session two of the Patient Matters podcast. Many could argue session three uh, because we now have Adrian McGregor back with us, this time in the studio. The man who made it all happen, really, the first Patient Matters podcast, which was the title of a Physio Matters podcast. We think it was about a year ago. Um, and so we're delighted to have him back, and we're going to zoom in on some, um, some tighter issues. It is also Mental Health Week. Uh, this is the Monday of Mental Health Week, in which we're then going to talk a little bit about the interplay between some mental health and physical health conditions. And uh, obviously I put inverted commas around that uh, to suggest they're separate. is probably what we'll come to talk about. But what um, Adrian Candley did in, in his original podcast and in conversations since in various different forms, he's been open about his story and his journey and helping people to realise that these things are so intertwined that it's almost silly that we speak about them separately. So Adrian, thanks so much for coming back on. And firstly, what if you tell maybe tell the listeners what you've been up to um, since we uh, last they last heard from you on our microphone. I've got older, Jack. <laughs> uh, first of all, thank you. Thank you for asking me to come back for uh, the second time. I enjoyed the, the podcast, uh, the first one. Um, was it last week? The first Patient Matters podcast? Yeah. The, the, yeah. The last week. I enjoyed that very much. Um, yeah, it's, it's been a bit of a, uh, a fun packed year. Um, uh, I'd like to say I've made good progress in, in many ways uh, from when we first met about a year ago. Uh, and for the listeners who can't remember, we actually met at my house. So m- my sort of exposure to you as a, as a physiotherapist started about a year ago, uh, where I described last time that I, I certainly was in a hole. I was in a very dark hole, a dark place, uh, as, as a result of kind of ongoing chronic pain that I'd had for a number of years. Uh, and again, listeners will will know that I've, I, te- I took a journey and um, eventually found you uh, to uh, w- where you kind of offered help, assistance, and, and maybe uh, shined a light in, in, in certain directions that I'd not even considered. And I think before we talked about the biopsychosocial model and that I'd obviously never heard of it and without being too much of an, an anorak, it was certain areas that I've not even considered that might be responsible for my pain. I'd always seen it as purely a back problem, uh, surgery, uh, a biomechanical issue. Never really pondered on all these other things that might be contributing to pain. Um, I've made good progress in my health in general. Um, so the fixation on back and back pain is, is what is the area I've made real progress is that I don't really associate the pain that I still have, ongoing chronic pain, um, with that MRI scan that we talked about when right. I used to look at the MRI scan yeah. and and think, ooh, that looks really ugly, nasty, and gnarly, and I and I need to keep going back to the doctor because I've still got this pain, and you know, contemplate further surgery and the discussions that we had where I'd almost convinced myself I needed a spinal fusion. Um, and I, I don't really think about that anymore. Um, socially, I've made great progress. Obviously, I, I play walking football more, and mm. yeah, I've stepped up through the ranks and and obviously played for Wales at walking football, and I played against England um, a few months ago now. We did lose 2-0, but that's another story. I was story. just going to ask the result. Ask. Is that a sore uh, thing? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so socially, I've got out more. Um I'm still trying and testing various things. I'm almost like a, a laboratory um, and uh, where I, I do test things regular on myself. 
to help with chronic pain. Um, there's no area that I probably haven't haven't been and wouldn't go to to try and deal with chronic pain. That's that's an on, ongoing basis. Um, but I suppose to sum up, we haven't been going on too much. Is that that the progress has been made more from stopping thinking about pain and being more present in the things I'm doing. So family connections, social connections, doing stuff I enjoy. So the, the, the blueprint of, of a model is where instead of looking at one area where it's damaged, it, it's broken, I'm, I'm kind of getting out and doing stuff more. Right, that's great. It's really good to hear, of course, yeah. and, and delighted to to know that that journey continues to be a positive one. But also, we've we've spoken before and off air about the fact that there's sometimes we, we're going to probably walk towards that in this conversation about sometimes the the naivety that's sometimes perpetuated or the the sort of glitz and glamour of uh, a penny drop moment that then suddenly means you walk out of of, of chronic pain as if it's a, a a straightforward thing. It's an ongoing management that then becomes something that you need to integrate and change certain behaviours around. Yeah, you've read lots of books, I have. You see it all the time on, on um, you know, uh, on Twitter, on Facebook, etc., where people will tell this story. Some miraculously cure from chronic pain and, you know, wonderful, great. It's like winning the, it must be like winning the lottery. Um, but life's not like that. And especially when they're, and I believe there is a very strong link between chronic pain and let's call it mental health issues, whatever that means. And it's not quite that simple. Um, I may have to live with both for the rest of my life. It's the way, the tools I use and the way I try and do that. And I must declare straight away before we carry on, another thing that has interested me a lot is this Kardashian index thing that gets banded about. And people that are <laughs> listening to me and may have listened to me last time, I have to declare that my Kardashian index is pretty shit. I haven't got many Twitter followers. I haven't done much research. So what I talk about and what I come out with, it's not, it's not from a scientific background. Some people might switch off now as I've just said that, but I thought I'd declare that straight away. Yeah. No, but your credibility comes from a very real lived experience in which you're just accurately representing what you feel um, is is your your version of events. And you've also, in the last 12 months, certainly been interacting with more and more therapists and, and had spoke at uh, the Big Arts Conference. You've also been contributing to pain management services local to where you are. Yeah. You're part of uh, think tank groups within uh, down yeah. in London, haven't you? So there's been an uh, increased exposure. And so never mind the Kardashian index. Your credibility comes from your authentic story. Yeah, no, thank you. And, and it, it, it reinforces the progress I've made. And you've mentioned some things that I'm doing there. Um, yeah, I, I help out on a pain management program a year ago I, I couldn't even contemplate going out I you know was kind of resigning myself to the fact that this had really consumed me and even the thought of going out was was off the radar um was a housebound not quite but you're in a pretty bad place the involvement in the in the big R's has helped me as well because it's exposed me not so much to the kind of expertise and on, on all other like-minded individuals but but patients people who have got chronic conditions, whether that be fibromyalgia, whether that be a musculoskeletal issue, whether it be mental health issues. So as well as listening to stories, yeah, I can offer not my advice, not my help, I'm not an expert, but certainly I think from peer to peer uh, perspective, it's very powerful. 
for them to listen maybe. And I don't kind of blow my horn trumpet and say, sit and listen to me. This is what I did. It's about kind of telling my story. And, and I do know that they get a lot from that. Yeah, yeah, that gets fed back to us quite a lot as well, is that, that there is that peer network. Do you sometimes feel, because you, you're bringing that caveat forward fairly early, do you feel quite conscious that you're making sure to say that this isn't me suggesting this is a blueprint to do it or anything like that? Because um, I can imagine that's a concern that you would have that people might think that that is the way rather than our way or your way. Absolutely. I talk about on the pay management programme that, that there might be a 100 things that you as a person need to try as I've done um, before you start to see results whatever them you know outcome measures are for results sure. um, so the way I've done it dealt with it managed it, uh, it it sometimes feels quite scary to me it might be quite scary to people listening to me to think Craig you know the things that you've thrown at this to deal with chronic pain oh there's something wrong with you you know you, you're not on this planet but when you're in the hole when you've got chronic pain, you've had it for a number of years, uh, and, and, and everybody listening, you included, Jack, I know, you've had pain, and it's horrible, and you want to be out of it. And some people have a choice, pharmaceutical route, passive, go to the doctor, surgery, etc. Well, I did all that, and it didn't work. So I sourced and researched lots of other ways of trying to do that. And I do believe I have got a blueprint. The, blu the blueprint is now my life. And I find it very hard to come away from that blueprint. So it's gone in depths into nutrition, into sleep, into movement, into the kind of mindfulness activities, etc. So there is a blueprint and uh, so I could write a book and I could sell it, etc. I could write, you know, I could make a film. Um, but the blueprint works for me. It might yeah, not work for you. Sure. And that's what's the interesting thing. And that's the great humility of your story is that consistently you you're feeling like you're pursuing these things and, and then willing to tell your story, but then also appropriately caveat it as saying that it could well be that, that X, Y, and Z that's helped me um, might hinder you and vice versa. And therefore it ends up being that your core message seems to be an appropriate and thoughtful sense of, of, of trial and error. How, how One of my concerns, and, and I'm going to try and put it into a question, is how much do you feel that the journey that you've had to go through and the trial and error process you're describing, how essential was that to your position you're in now managing better? How much of that chapter could have been skipped and how much of it is an essential suffering to then climb out of said cave? Uh, well, I'll answer that in a couple of ways. It would have been easier on, on going back a few years ago day one when I suddenly realized that this pain had lasted longer than three months, it, it was now called this thing called chronic pain, that I could have gone somewhere to a hub, to a site, and, and, it, and it told me everything that I needed to know and that all the answers was there. You know, sure. clicking the word chronic pain, NHS website, da-da-da, there it is. These are all the avenues that you need to go down, blah blah But it, it just did not exist. In fact, it probably doesn't exist now. And where is this single source, this resource, this place where a person like me could go and save a lot of time and a lot of money? Because we did that little thing, didn't we, last time on the amount of money that you can throw at this? Yeah. And maybe we'll come on to that after, that if you've actually got the money to spare, you, you could have a better outcome result for chronic pain than somebody who does not have access to, to finance, which is absolutely diabolical. Mm. Um, so the route that you end up going is you... you you read books, you, you research, and you start to kind of put it all together in this big mosaic jigsaw puzzle. And 
some you try, some don't work, they fail, and you try something else. And that, that goes through the range of different exercises. Can you remember when we had the conversation about the Jefferson Curl and all the things I was told about tight core, don't do this, do this. Um, the medical route, uh, which is very, um, you know, if you go to a GP, as you know, you, you take a route of kind of known, understood, prescribed uh, medicine regime, which will start off on the kind of paracetamol and work it right up to, to, to the opioids, etc. But I didn't want any of that. So then you go down another avenue of, well, is there any, um, you know, um, other forms of, of, of medication I could take, such as cannabis, um, such as Kratom, these things that are out there that people in the wide web have been trying for years and seem to get good results on them, um, CBD included. Well, I'll have a go at that. So the list doesn't end. But to go back to the question, it would have been bloody easy if I could have found a place where somebody had done all this, tested it, tried it, and it was authentic, by the way. Mm. And it got the old kind of Medal of Honor badge on this. Yeah, mark, yeah. Rather than some kind of um, person, some organization who's kind of just making it up and they're not trusted. Because mm. trust is a big thing, isn't it? Who do I believe? Do yeah. I believe Jack Chew or do I believe the patient who don't listen to them? I've tried all this, go down this route. And when you're in pain, you just have not got the capacity because, you know, there's, there is links to the fact that you've not been sleeping well, you're not eating well. You want a quick fix. And with chronic pain, chronic conditions, there is no quick fix. And you've experienced the fact that in that vulnerable state, there are various different factions and, and even people, individuals or corporations that are sort of preying on that vulnerability a little bit. And then it must be particularly challenging to then sift through that that evidence, for want of a better word, um, in such a way that to not be taken advantage of in that space. Yeah, possibly. Um, you know, I said before, I wouldn't want to throw any, anybody under the bus on this one, this chronic pain issue. You know, I've seen some great service. I've been exposed to some really poor service. Um, and... I use the word poor because, again, that's almost um, uh, subjective. They're, they're probably trying their very best, uh, yeah. you know, even from from going initially to see the GP to more recently where I went down the cannabis route since it was legalised in November last year to try and pursue getting cannabis. Now, your listeners will be thinking, well, cannabis for chronic pain. Oh, what does he know? He's not Kardashian index. He doesn't know anything. Has he, done, has he read this? No, I've not, but I'm sufficiently knowledgeable enough to know that CBD has been quite useful. Does cannabis work for chronic pain? I don't know, but I'm a patient. I want to try it. Mm. So I went down that route. Yeah. But even going down that complex route, I knew I would never get it because you've seen on the news, the listeners have read it, seen it. It's a pretty tight niche that is going to get yeah. uh, cannabis for chronic pain. Cut a long story short, I didn't get it in the end. But I went through the four levels of pain management. And again, I, if you want to, I can explain what they all are before you eventually find yourself in front of a panel uh, at a hospital with pain consultants, psychologists, and all these other kind of stakeholders who are going to decide whether you should get uh, cannabis for chronic pain. You're only going to get the ticket. You're not going to get the cannabis. You're basically going to get the legal whatever piece of paper to say, I can have it. Well, where are you going to get it from? 
because as we know, you can't go to a pharmacist at the moment and say, right, there it is. Can I have the cannabis off the shelf? It doesn't exist. But I didn't get it. Now, does that mean to say that I can't get cannabis and try it for chronic pain? I'd already been tried it anyway. I can get it today. Of course. But how do I know what's in that cannabis? Yeah. Sure. Is it protected? Is it, what's the THC levels, etc.? And people in chronic pain, patients, will do anything to try and relieve the chronic pain. Um, have I been acting frivolously? Um, have I been naive and stupid to keep trying some of the things? No. That's what you do when you're in chronic pain. Yeah. And yeah. I challenge anybody to, to, to come back at me and say, well, no, you should be careful. You shouldn't try this. You shouldn't do that. It's a real tough, tough one. Right. No, I can understand that. And it's really interesting how that does... It does weigh into the somewhat political issue of of, of cannabis use with regards to medic as a medicant medicant medicine um, <clears throat> because of that the, the the dosage front the uh, application of delivery and things like that ends up being such a thing that 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 is what patients are, are craving is that that I want to take it but I want to take it credibly I don't want to be um, having to having to to guesstimate I don't have to I don't want to be on a street corner. Uh, yeah, taking it, taking it, uh, and, yeah. and not understanding necessarily if the pros and cons of what I'm taking uh, on my symptoms are, um, if we don't know what it is about that, so that I can optimize its usage. Um, and that that's a really a really uh, interesting part of this is that you you're looking for a way to do so. In in you've, you've pursued the system, and the system feels like it lets you down in that sense. There's again a, a lot of. Uh, a lot of healthcare consumption you've had to go through to do that then. To, well, to I, can get, I, I can give you a, a, an example of, of, I mentioned the word poor. Now, up mm. until that point, we'll just use the cannabis as an example, okay. is that the system, I was actually really pleased I was going through that system and I, and I was using it as a test bed. Uh, again, you know, crazily that a year ago, I couldn't even comprehend me even talking about this. Yeah. But I wanted to go through the system just to see what the system it, was it prepared for the patients? I think I was the first person, and it, it's a Birmingham hospital, I shan't mention it, but I think I was the first pers person since the legislation to, to say, this is what I want. I went to my GP first, I spoke to the pharmacist, he pushed me through to level two pain management, they pushed me through to level three, uh, and eventually I'm kind of sitting in front of the two consultants, pain management consultant, trying to explain my journey, like we did, and then trying to reason with them to... To just and justify why I believe that I should have it, try it. I only wanted to try it. I was not saying it will work for chronic pain. But the failing, the poor service was that the panel, I never attended the panel. It's done oh, right. in your absence. Oh, your right, GP see. is invited. If you've got a, uh, I mean, I, I, I see a um, psychologist in pain, pain management, and they've been very good, although it took me 12 months to get to see them. Um now, that was in January. I've not heard since. I've not officially been told that I haven't got it. Right. And it's now, what, May? And yeah. then when I started last November, my psychologist luckily said, and I was at the panel, and, and you can't have it and for, for, for various reasons, which, again, I can, I can tell you what the reasons are. Um, but how many other people out there are waiting for, you know, the assistant to... Yeah. To, to help them. It just seem, it seems like a hell of a lot of, uh, I mean, it's an incredibly cautious process for someone that's admittedly just saying, 
I'd like to try this for symptoms. Mm. I want to do so legitimately, legally, and credibly yeah, yeah, yeah. In, in such a way. It just seem it does seem to be um, a hell of a lot of red tape and expensive red tape for what is otherwise known. And it's uncontroversial, somewhat to say now something that's that's seen to be have have, especially in its medical form, very few side effects relative to other readily available medications. And so that's what seems to be a, an unusual thing that you had to jump through so many hoops and therefore have to further uh, engage with the system in such a way yeah yeah and i, and I kind of don't want to go down the rabbit hole of talking about cannabis and for medical purposes its validity and all them sort of things mm. but it is it is but one of the many um i suppose uh negative sides of trying to find a fix for chronic pain mm. yeah and and on that then maybe that's a useful bridge for us to understand as to maybe double back on the on the cannabis front but just could you tell the listeners a little bit about how mental health has affected you and how do you feel it influences your symptoms because often people are wanting to understand sort of the they think it's either chicken or egg in terms of pain then induces some mental health problems or mental health problems predisposes pain and and obviously it's, it's more cyclical than that but how has it been for you and what's mental health mean to you and your symptoms well i suppose up until I don't know, a year ago, maybe just before I, 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 I met you, I never associated any of the kind of pain, musculoskeletal, the back pain, the kind of L5-S1, to, to mental health. I, 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 if you'd have said, you know, Adrian, have you, have you ever thought that maybe it, it, it's, it's stopped the fixation on the back and the back pain, that there might be other issues as well? I, I probably would have wanted to beast you or slap you or whatever i i would have found that hard um but if having a year to think about it and and research and learn more about it you know my sleep was just poor it was shitty um i'd probably not focused on on um living (laughs) i certainly wasn't in the present my mind was all over forever on the internet searching forever thinking i got to get back to the doctor um i i I suppose that my my world was just um my my body was probably trying to tell me there was things going on such as raging anxiety but i was pinning the anxiety down to the chronic pain in other words there was no separation it was just well it's because my back's hurting that's why i'm not sleeping I don't want to go out and I don't want to do the sort of things because I'm always in pain. Everything was a pharmaceutical route. There's got to be a fix in terms of either a medication or, or further surgery. So the, the penny started to drop more when um, some of the symptoms I was having, particularly around panic attacks and anxiety, I thought, do you know what? I had these before. I had uh, back pain. <laughs> you know, and I think some of the things I've done in my life particular at work and again if your listeners can't remember my story or they want to be bored with it go on to the, the previous <laughs> and um i think i've been some pretty scary situations uh you know life-changing situations in my my previous jobs and i remember you know occasionally feeling anxious that i just thought was normal and then thinking well, I was feeling anxious yesterday, and, I, and I'm still feeling anxious to, to today, yesterday, last week. 
um, it was almost becoming embedded into me as a person. And, mm. and I just thought that that was normal. Um, panic attacks started to creep in. Uh, particular when I was uh, going through the, 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 the surgery and, and post-surgery. Never had anything like that before. So started to glue all these little bits together and thinking, maybe I had some of this before. What is it? What is wrong with me? Because I wasn't talking to anybody. Can you imagine me manning up with you and a friend or a family member and saying, listen, I, I need someone to talk to. I, I, I've got these strange feelings and, you know, and, and I'm, and I'm um, you know, it, it, I'm not sure what it is. And, and I'm describing anxiety and panic attacks. So I kind of pinned it together myself that is chronic pain, anxiety and is anxiety chronic? Are they the same thing? You know, do some people have chronic pain and not have all these other conditions? Probably, they're very lucky if they are. But I dare say a lot of people that have got chronic pain have got some mental health issue, whether that is low levels of anxiety, generalized anxiety disorder, uh, stress, depression, etc. And I just don't think they realize that, that they think one is being caused by the other. And I'm not quite sure that that's the case. They might look at need to look a bit deeper into the closet to say what else has happened in their life that is now manif manifesting itself as anxiety. M maybe they've they've always had these sort of conditions, and the back pain or the chronic pain that comes up after um, is almost like a bolt-on. Did it feel more comfortable almost to attribute it to? pain especially mechanistic oh, yeah. structural pain yeah, than, yeah, to, than to do the inevitable yeah. and, and and i know in, in in knowing your case better the soul searching that's been required since then. yeah i mean you know you if you used to sit on the pain management program in fact you might use this yourself that you, you, you you're trying to encourage the person the patient that you know you can move more and you, and you won't be damaged you know that old chestnut yeah yeah and you might also say, if you're brave enough, and without wishing to impose um, a, physiotherapy, a physiotherapist being some kind of pseudo-social worker, um, to say, well, you need to develop more cognitive flexibility, which, which means that rather than being fixated on this, I've got a bad back, I can't sit here for too long, Jack, I'm going to have to have a little walk around, and then I've got to be very careful how I get and sit in my car and, and uh, you know, and I can't pick things up, etc. cetera. Uh, the cognitive flexibility w w would be really, you can't say to me, stop thinking about your back and, and movement will not harm you rather than just trying to develop other skills, cognitive skills. And, and I talked about it before, trying to be present, socializing, getting out, doing stuff you, you love, playing more, um, you're starting to kind of move away from this fixation that it's the back, it's causing your chronic pain, and that's why you've got anxiety or that's why you're having panic attacks. It is not the case. Once you get over that hump and separate it, yeah. I think life begins again for a person in chronic pain. And it's it's what I felt anyway, that once, and I've said this before, and, I, and I've mentioned it on, on, on the pain management, once I start to get over that fixation of having my back fused and keep going back to the doctors and I've got to up the medication, things start to get better. You know, I started yeah. to get out more and do more stuff. And, and I think my life has improved dramatically as a result of kind of getting through that, um, 
sorry to go back to it, but the, the bio in the biopsychosocial model. Yeah, that was it, very, it's not. Well, that was a, that, that was a common thread. It, when we were... So I'm just thinking back, and I'm really trying to scratch my head as to the calendar on this, is that I think we met probably just over <coughs> 18 months ago, actually. I think the podcast probably about a year ago. And, and when we first met, there was a six-month period of time in which was probably a more typical sort of patient-therapist relationship of a sort, in that we had back and forths, we don't live close to each other, so there were some visits mm. both ways, but there was also some, some uh, on Skype and things like that, calls, what have you, emails. And the, the decrease in the structuralism was, it would wax and wane, it makes sense for a time, but then it would also be something yeah. that would drag you back. But it seemed to be that my in, as it were, with regards to the anxiety particularly, was over this notion that you'd been sold not just a structural model, but then a biomechanical model surrounded by these concept of micro-movements that when symptoms were manifesting, you were then being encouraged to then brace through the abdomen in such a way that seemed to, from what I could tell from your story, seemed to proceed sometimes anxiety attacks, shallow breathing, in part because you were trying to brace yourself out of out of the pain. Now, yeah. I'm not trying to suddenly suggest cause and effect, but I remember that being, an, I'll admit, an easier thing for me to broach than it would from scratch because it was an, a more obvious, I say obvious, I don't mean obvious, I sort of mean a more um, likely association that could be made without it being... I dare say offensive. It didn't seem like a complete wild card for me to bring that forward because it seemed that some of the mechanistic traits that you were adopting, that you'd been advised to adopt, seemed to be likely predisposing you to those sorts of sensations. And so whilst it wasn't the thing, I admit finding that an easier thing as a therapist to bring forward. And that did seem to then open the conversation up quite quickly. Yeah, it seems quite easy, doesn't it? You know, looking back, you think, well... It's quite an easy fix, isn't it? You know, get someone to to get away from that very rigid, very compartmental way, compartmental way of, of thinking about their pain, uh, and the the sensitization of us will go down. You know, that the, the the brain will kind of dampen down these this threat level, and that that it, you'll be okay. It doesn't quite work like that. <laughs> well, yeah, uh, it's the beat. You'll be okay. Yeah, thing. That's I, the... I can honestly say, like a magic wand, I don't think anymore that you know the, the back, the degenerative changes, the, the the fact that I've had the surgery, the fact that they've got they've got the scar tissue, the fact that you know all them things I was told, and all them products, the snake oil products that I was given, uh, and you know the fact that my core. <laughs> Remember the story about the uh, the Rocky film? Oh, absolutely, yeah. I used to do the core, core exercises so much. Yeah. I thought, oh God, I look absolutely fabulous. But I was in such a flipping hole with chronic pain. I thought, oh, clearly it's got nothing to do with my core then. Well, yeah, you certainly yeah. pursued that <laughs> to the nth degree. And, that, and that's one of the things is, yeah, yeah, you, 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 you were, you're in incredible shape, but, but struggling to leave the house for yeah. various other reasons, pain, anxiety and otherwise. But I think as well, you, 
I think what's interesting about your case as well is that you pursued what people sometimes then think is the new age quick fix, which is this idea in which downplay the pain, upplay the function, and then scale the function independent of the pain and sort of suggest that that's the be-all and end-all too. No. And even when you'd met me, you'd started to... You were in this. You were in great shape, not just from core stability exercises, but also from just this this idea of trying to... Because questions weren't being answered appropriately on the pain side, you were pursuing the function side as a means of then just hoping that that went away or squeezed it yeah. out of your life. Yeah. And that that was a, a mistake that's fairly unique in your in your circumstance to my mind from from encountering patients in your situation is that you'd you'd also managed to poke holes in what is considered a more new age way of pain management is to shift perception to function in such a way without actually and in this instance without actually addressing and helping you to square the circles of why your life was behaving oh, yeah. as it were yeah um you know, looking back in hindsight, and, and I know you take this approach anyway, that if I was to walk in here on day one again, you would hopefully treat me as as a whole person, as an individual. Yeah. And you can only do that by listening to my story. Um, a good listener, uh, let's call it motivational interviewing. Um, you, you're going to use these sort of tools and techniques to, to elicit this this story behind my pain. Now, my story, you've heard it. These have heard it. It's quite complex, isn't it? Is it any different from anybody else? Well, probably. There's not many people would have kind of done the sort of things that I've done, but there are lots of people out there. But there are equally people who, who are in chronic conditions who have had some horrific things happen in their life. I mean, I, I, you know, I fortunately or unfortunately, I listen to these on pain management programs. And I'm talking about adverse childhood events, et cetera. So the triggers. But if you jump straight into, right, I've seen your MRI. It's a muscle. These are the exercises. Come back every week. We'll kind of gradually expose you to some of these things. And before you know it, you'll be back on it. <laughs> it don't work like that. <laughs> and it will never work like yeah. that. And and it's one of the reasons why I, I, I've immersed myself in the big R's and, and doing the stuff I do, um, you know, with, with great thanks to Connect Health, um, who reached out to me, reached out to me last time, is able to try and talk about some of these issues that, you know, it's, um, that there's lots of ways to try and tackle this, you know, and, and uh, it, it, if I'd have gone to a one-stop shop, you know, early intervention, um, a person who probably is trying some of these new techniques, um, I could have saved myself a lot of time, trouble, effort, because they, they could have helped me, mentored me, coached me. I mean, you've been like a coach. Now, some people might say, oh, you're slapping Jack on the back again. But that's, that's what resonated with me, that you equally you know, coaching me to stop doing things as well as to do things. So this, you talk about this new age way of doing things. Um, I myself, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm on a blueprint. I'm, I'm exposing myself to my own blueprint. And, and that blueprint meant that, you know, I had my hormones tested. You know, okay, I had the money. You know, I, I had the stool sample tested for gut bacteria, for my microbiome. You know, I'm an absolute guru on sleep, the amount of research I've done on sleep. Mm -hmm. So I was able to throw things, time, money, and effort to all these 
very key components that it didn't just take my mind away from chronic pain, but it helped deal, manage with. I've still got it, so it's not gone. But there are lots of these these very good areas that I've gone down into that have worked. You know, sleep is a great example. Nutrition totally changed everything I eat, you know, um, mm. in the last, I suppose, 18 months, two years. And because I'd, I'd, I'd all my hormones tested in America, um, I knew what certain cofactors and certain things that were missing in my, my hormones. Right. So I was able, rather than go to the chemist and say, right, I'll get a bottle of vitamin, multivitamins, I'll get the, the, the B vitamins, got to get magnesium because that's quite vogue at the moment, isn't it? <laughs> I only take the things that I actually was, you know, showing as, a, as an area of, so of concern. So you were able to get that more specificity yeah. than, than others would have done. Was there ever a risk um, where you were starting to be more and more analytical and starting to understand uh, the variety of variables and starting to work out what worked for you and create what you're describing as, as your blueprint? Was there ever a risk of that being something, because you were putting more and more on your shoulders or trying to expand your knowledge in that area, was there ever a risk that that might induce more anxiety because you were putting oh, yeah. an awful lot more pressure? You were carrying more cognitive load at that time. Yeah, but we go back to the cognitive flexibility thing. What, what, I think what, one, of the, one of the strengths and the journey that I've taken in the last year is to understand these drivers of maybe anxiety these things that are fueling and contributing and maybe m me being the type of person I am, call me a type A person if you want to, I I'm not quite sure I am, is that, yeah, I like to take the deep dive. I like to kind of find out, well, if, if, if that person says X, Y, look at the research, um, you know, maybe look at what other people think, try it, test it. The main answer is, is that I'm really interested in it. Yeah, sure. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I wasn't doing it purely to find the fix. I actually find it quite interesting. Yeah. You know, call that, me boring, call no, me old-fashioned. That, that helps, though. <laughs> yeah. That does help. And that's because I'm interested good. in movement and exercise, yeah. and then I'm definitely interested in nutrition, and I'm definitely interested in these things that, you know, I... I um, you know, certain members of my family have got various illnesses at the moment, and and... It, you know, to try and listen compassionately to them and, and, and uh, you know, think that, God, if I had that condition, how would I deal with that? How yeah. would I overcome that? Yeah. And what I've learned over the last, I say, couple of years is that, you know, I, I would take a different view now rather than I've got this issue, this illness, I'm going to go to the doctor and I'll just, you know, liberally take a dose of whatever they say and do. Now I don't. I'll look and find out the answer for myself. Uh, and that's not being almost, you know, again, a carefree attitude to what the GP or other experts, experts would say. But uh, I like to really, I suppose I've took self-efficacy and, and, and all that to another level now. <laughs> <laughs> it's an understandable scepticism, though, that, that you would allow it to go through an extra filter, let's say, because of the experiences you've had, is that you don't want to be making the same mistakes you've done before, which was, you know, and I remember from our first podcast, it was being that, you know, why, why wouldn't I have had what I now see as being blind faith in them in the early stages? It would have been strange and standoffish if you hadn't have embraced what they were saying, because it made superficial sense to you at the time. So I think that it's inevitable that you're not going to 
And I remember we had that discussion and we had a really interesting back and forth in the, our first couple of meetings about the fact that um, we were able to get into much more depth because I didn't want you, and almost my opening gambit was don't take anything we we, we talk yeah, about for granted. Let's, yeah. let's scratch beneath the surface of it. Like Don't mm. be shy to challenge me on any question or why have we even worded it that way and we were able to really press fast forward on a few conversations in part because um, I was just realizing let's not be another person in this man's story that that yeah infers they can help over over attributes calls to specific things I just didn't want to make that mistake and and kindly you and that's the thing that's the real relevant thing is that you were then willing and comfortable to to open up and we did make far more progress than we than we probably thought we would in a, in a shorter space of time. Yeah. When I want, what I wanted to ask though is, when it comes to the mental health components of your healthcare journey, professionals that you've encountered, be that MSK professionals or in mental health services, could we talk a little bit about whether that you know what, where have the positive experiences been, where have the negative ones been, and has there been a net net good? Have your interactions with that been better or worse than say your interactions more tightly in the musculoskeletal medical model? Yeah, um, I mentioned earlier that that uh, going going back eighteen months ago, I went to the GP and he suddenly pulled out the rabbit hole that the. the I could have, I could access uh, um, a psychiatrist. Sorry, a psychologist. Mm. A psychiatrist, psychologist. Yeah. I always get this mixed up. Difference between yeah, the it's two. Challenging, yeah. um, Specialised in chronic pain. Um, so I kind of got myself down that. It took twelve months for me to to see this guy, mm. uh, and then I had my first uh, meeting with him. And it's only going back about three or four months ago. Uh, so the system. Did it fail me? No, that's just the waiting list. That's just the way it is. So there's a, there's a year's worth of, oh, I wonder when my appointment's going to come through, et cetera, and what's this guy going to be like? Is he going to help me? Because considering I'm, always, I'm already on a very good journey, aren't I? Yeah. My trajectory is very good. But actually, when I did get to see him, and I see him every three weeks now, uh, I'm going to mention his name, Dominic Crowley. Um, he, he's been very good, really good. But again... Because I'm the sort of person I am, I always think, well, why is he good? Let me analyse this meeting that I've had with him and think, well, is it because he's just a good listener? Or does he actually offer me tools and techniques that I can take out of here? Because that's what you really need, isn't it? You need this, what am I going to use now? Now I'm feeling this way um, that Dominic showed me because he's the expert that I've been sat in front of. Uh, and, And he does give me some good tools. Are they any different from the ones I was reading and I've done online? Probably not. Um, so that's one. The pharmaceutical, pharmaceutical route, I mean, I will admit that, you know, I've tried every single pharmaceutical for chronic pain and it was mentioned to me, mentioned to me about a year ago, maybe the, the time when um, we did the first podcast, that sertraline, which is an antidepressant, is okay for chronic pain. I say is okay for... Let's go back to my Kardashian index and all that. Some yeah. of yours will be playing oh, buzzword yeah. bingo now saying, oh, <laughs> you can't say that, sertraline. Yeah. Um, I thought, well, I'll I'll give it a go. I'll give this sertraline. Am I scared that it's an antidepressant and what will all my big macho mates think if he's on antidepressants? Mm-hmm. Look at him. Can't believe he's on them. I didn't actually give a shit about that. Uh, I thought I'll try it. But I did a bit of research first. 
<laughs> to look at. Yeah. You know, what I didn't look at, and I weren't really that fussed, was the three pages of uh, side effects for sertraline. And I actually found a low dose of sertraline to be quite good for me. Um, more because of, and again, we have been in Anorak, the, the issue that I'd already been tested on my hormones. And one of the cofactors that I was lacking in or was not producing enough um, was probably that serotonin route. So my dopamine and serotonin, I'd already knew there was an issue with them through testing, yeah. through yeah. the dry urine testing. Right. Yeah. So I'll give it a go. Uh, and I got some benefit from it. So again, for, for patients out there who, who are listening and they they probably had lots of, of different types of medications, etc. From my perspective, it, it is okay to, if, if, if it's recommended and you can do your own homework, that even the word antidepressant for chronic pain, it might be worth, worth a try. So I, I tried that route. Um, I'm very fortunate that I work with a great team um, at Connect uh, in Wolverhampton. And of course, you've got a, you've got a mixture of physios, advanced physiotherapists, physios who specialise in pain management, and uh, you know the, the 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 team is is probably headed up with um, with a psychologist uh, named Sophie, and I've got access to these people every week mm. because I'm working in a team and we're delivering a program. Yeah, I'm forever talking to them, mm. and so I I get a, a, quite a good um, interaction, and I'm allowed to talk about my issues, and I have done with them. On a weekly basis, I never had that before. I didn't used to talk to anybody, so I've got good peer support. Yeah, for sure. No, that's uh, and that's that's promising. You you had a few experiences, from what I recall, and correct me if I'm wrong here. Before before you've been able to get to Dominic um, from his from the waiting list there, but you had some you had some CBT um, sessions yeah. and things like that. That that you, and and also pain management sessions in your community, not the one that you contribute yeah. to. But but um, could you just reflect on? on those because i think we've all we've talked me and you have even just just off air talked about them very superficially but i know that they've been mixed back yeah so i mean i've i've, I've been on pain management programs obviously local authority where where i live and uh, again not not knocking that it, it was probably six seven weeks uh, and, the, and the issue with some of the pain management programs probably around the country is that i dare say there's no a blueprint syllabus that they're fetching off the shelf and saying through research tested da 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 you know, outcome measures, this is how to run a pain management co- program. Um, I don't know what they all look like. The one I was on didn't meet my expectations and it didn't really service my needs a lot. Um, hence, when I went to, to Wolverhampton, because the pain management program was new, they immersed me into the the developing the course phase. Yeah. And now if you look at the eight-week eight course, it's got a lot of my little things on it mm. because I, you know for example if something was missing so they're not talking about sleep oh, you've got to be talking about sleep on a pain management program sure it's yeah. the it's the key to to most of this um i've had cbt uh, i've been through the the cbt and cbt has, has been very useful I, I, again i i i picked up some of the tools and techniques that that i still use and it, it's no different really for the stuff that dominic crowley um um, helps me, me with now. But some of the things I find out myself, I suppose, for mental health issues and anxiety, good breathing techniques, 
you know, again, you know, we can all wear fancy devices that will breathe for you and, and tell you how much sleep you had, et cetera. But um, I suppose just trying to be present is a tool mm. that, that I've kind of learned from my colleagues, at, uh, particularly at, on the pain management program. Right. And whatever being present means, um, you know, it's it's it can be a bit, bit woolly, a bit, tree huggerish some of these subjects on meditation and things like that and for proper blokes don't do meditation and all that jack they don't did it did, <laughs> i want to just touch on that then because that's relevant as well we're talking as we say about it being mental health week and a lot of the talk is about destigmatizing and particularly in and around you know the the escalation of um male mental health rates in, in suicide in young men and things like that, that the, the answer is to, to find someone to talk to and to, to de-macho it and to try and recognise the need to find a space to be vulnerable. Um, we Was that ever a, a major barrier for you? And what if, if it was a barrier, how did you overcome that barrier? Yeah, I, I, I can't remember uh, 18 months ago, putting my arms around many people and giving them a big hug and you know all that sort of stuff and uh, I just don't know what it is whether it was me whether it was the environment whether it was how I've been brought up and you just get on with it your resilience is developed as all our resilience is developed through you know trial and error fail a few things dust yourself off get up and, and away you go again and and you know I've, I've led a, some active an active life through through the two jobs in particular as a Royal Marine, as a firefighter, we're well, just on it all the time. You know, it's, there's no weakness. There's no, you know, no feeling sorry for yourself. You, you, you're pretty much, that job's finished, give me the next job. My life was like that. You know, the 70, 80 hours a week, my life was always like that. Always on the email, always desperate for the next big fire so I could get out there and prove, you know, that I was the man and, and all them sort of things. A very macho very much our world, um, fortunately or unfortunately. I mean, it gave me some great things. Um, but, you know, I'd lost a sense of normality, normal life, as in hitting the snooze button occasionally, pausing, you know, being happy with what you've got. You've achieved enough today. Why don't you just chill out? <laughs> no, what's the next thing? You know, if somebody said to me, five, ten minutes, every hour, I want you to just sit and do nothing. No, no, I can't do that. I cannot just sit and do nothing. Mm. Now, I can do it all the time. <laughs> I could fall asleep, yeah. but I could never do it. And 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 they're the sort of things that you know you've you've got to you've got to be uncomfortable with trying it, and you've got to realise the benefit that that is having. And let's not get scientific on this. You know, if you're all, always in combat mode, yeah. whether you're doing the job you're doing or the job I was previous doing or the great work that some of the other people are, are out there doing, you suddenly lose the, you lose the plot eventually, but you, you lose the purpose on, on life. And, and I did, I got it wrong. Uh, did chronic, chronic pain manifest it from that? Maybe. Um, did the anxiety manifest itself from that way that I used to? Maybe. But lots of people were, are doing now what I, what I was doing when I was working. And um, I, I just think you need a, a good peer support, a good a good set of tools that can help you get through that sort of lifestyle. And I know physios in particular, I would say majority of them work bloody hard, a lot of hours. Um, 
you know, and this understanding what can go wrong if you carry on living this sort of life is, is, is hard. I mean, it'd be easy for me to say to you, Jack, coach and mentee now to say, you know, you don't forget the small things in life. I wouldn't have listened when, when I was going through it. I'd have just said, yeah, yeah. all right, what's next? I think I, uh, I do hear you on that, both in terms of reflections on patients I've seen, colleagues, other family members that have encountered what we could, although it's an umbrella, but to suggest is a process of burnout and sometimes in a slow speed that you don't necessarily see coming. But also I recognise in my own life, especially the last couple of weeks I've had, is that sometimes you you overdo it, one too many things, one too many plates that you're spinning and you do um, forget the small stuff and you do, and you do forget to take some time out and, and be a bit compassionate with yourself. And one of the things that happens is you, you just sign, sign yourself up to too many things. Did you ever feel that there was a sense, because I, I suppose I'm projecting a bit perhaps here, is that you remember you feeling like there was some sort of sense of obligation to keep fighting it and, and to be in that battle mode partly because of your background. And I think that, that obligation seems to be relevant and I, I certainly notice it in myself is that, that that feeling obliged in some ways to make sure you're held to your own responsibility and to be accountable is good but then the downside is you then sort of over obliged to then put it on your own shoulders and to not then either delegate or just step back and, and look after yourself yeah i mean the big the biggest biggest critic my biggest critic is me it's it's whatever's been said in my head and this this continuously striving to you know, do more, want to achieve more, more success, etc. Why am I doing it? Yeah. Why was I doing it before? Again, let's get scientific. Is it the dopamine rush? Is it that, you know, that for that few seconds, yeah, we did it, or I did it, or I achieved this, etc. And I think I've learned over particularly the last 18 months, I can get that same, same dopamine rush by just sitting on my chair with both my dogs on my lap and just sitting there, just stroking the dogs. Rather than the project, the, the other project that I'll do, or the other, you know, the other, uh, you know, big thing, uh, big success story. Whether it be the Wales walking football is probably another example where you push, push, push. Yeah, yeah. For what? Because you like football. Was it because you said you can do it? Why did I do it? Let's be honest about it now, sure. and let's have an honest conversation. Why, why the hell did I push myself? And Jackie, it wasn't to get fitter. And it wasn't, it wasn't to say, oh, I've played for Wales. It was this thing that's in my head that drives me to say, you know, I could do that. Mm. You but know, you're learning to balance it. You've got to that's balance what's it. That's interesting. You really you, have got to. You've recognised that that's not sustainable to always be, you know, that's a side, <coughs> a side of you that we can't underestimate as being valuable, but it can't be the only side of you that manifests itself. Yeah, but because it's Mental Health Week and because we're having the conversation about the association of mental health, these are the sort of conversations that need to be had with people who might walk through your door who've got chronic pain. Now, you might say, well, I've only got 20 minutes. Yeah. But it's the identifiable, uh, I suppose, opportunities that, that yeah. rather than go down, well, let's just park the, the back and, and at the moment and, and you know, what about this other conversation, this other thing that's going off in your life or things that's contributing to your pain. And How sensitively should we broach that then, do you think? <coughs> I know it should be individualised, and I'm, I'm totally with you on that. But I think that the standoffishness that can sometimes occur with, with professionals is the they don't want to end up being clumsy and making a mistake and really pissing off someone. And also, they, they don't always feel brave enough to broach it because they feel like that 
they might end up um, coming across to the patient as if they're over-attributing some yeah. of the issues to mental health problems, almost as a scapegoat. So how how do you feel, and I don't mean specific techniques even, I just mean like, is it important enough for people to just get braver and, and, and try it? Yeah, I, I think some of these conversations, you, you don't have to be an expert. I'm very... I'm very comfortable that I could have a conversation with you about these subjects. Yeah. I mean, to the point where, yeah, it's not a, 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 a relationship where I'm paying for the service, but, uh, you know, you could signpost, there could be signposting, there is a, there's a possibility of a team environment where there is an expert within the team that can have the conversation. So there, there could be a, a little bit of pass on, but I think it's it's not beyond the realms of, of, of an individual like yourself, and I'm using you as an example of physiotherapy, where it's okay to talk about the majority of these issues. Now, whether you take it any further is a separate issue, but at least let's talk about it. Don't not go there because, oh, I better not mention anything about that because I'm only a physiotherapist and we're only here to talk about, you know, a tightness in his Achilles heel or whatever. Sure. Um, because they're all very relevant and, and especially of the pain issue uh, let's let's just ignore the acute pain part let we talk about chronic pain the association is just too overwhelming uh, yeah. and again some people were saying what does he know whatever what research have i done zero <laughs> um but the association is so compelling sure yeah i don't think that's controversial you I can't have it with a gp I can't get to my GP and have this conversation hmm. because, they, you know, they're so overwhelmed and to be fair to them, it's five minutes and they're already thinking about the next patient. Who else is going to help Adrian McGregor so he doesn't have to go fishing round and, and, and eventually hmm. navigates through this whole complex system to think, yeah, shit, that's probably why I've got chronic pain and these are worth trying, these have worked, these have not worked. Where, where else am I going to get it from? I would think that, you know, as, as an ambassador for that sort of health space, mm. um, someone's got to upskill or someone's got to be prepared to signpost them to this is where you can get more help because of. Uh, yeah, I think we've got we've got the workforce as well. I think MSK professionals in general, but namely physios, they have the workforce to be able to do that and to make that change and to just be brave in that, that situation. And unfortunately, sometimes you do make mistakes in the way that you might broach that or the language you use. But as a general rule, the, the water's not as cold as you think uh, if you dip your toe into it. And, and often um, we're trying to encourage people to have those those sort of brave conversations. And that happens. It's come up in a few podcasts recently, both in terms of the specifics on medical questioning when it comes to serious pathology, but also some of the issues raised in the motivational interviewing discussion. And, and yeah. this one about how sometimes it's just... just Ask an open question, and if it's genuine, it's not contrived, it's something that you're genuinely inter interested in, then fundamentally it'd be unusual for someone to then be offended or to, to bite your head off in a way that then sets them back or sets your relationship yeah. back. And it, yeah. certainly, it certainly didn't happen with us when probably when we look back on it, there were lots of circumstances where we that, that could have degraded. You know, we weighed, it, we weighed into an awful lot of hot topics very quickly in quick succession and and so really it's not as if the circumstances were poised for a brilliant couple of hours of of, of chat it could well have um have set back when uh, we were challenging each other 
on various things. And so whilst we're not saying uh, be silly of us to say that this is the blueprint for for exactly how everything could go, you know, there's there's some uniqueness to it as well. That there is probably a bit of bravery that people need to step into, yeah. and we need to provide them with resources, mentorship, and guidance. Yeah, um, yeah. in that in that space. But you're doing quite a lot of that. You, you've you've never stopped really doing some of the advocacy stuff, and that you know you're speaking at the Q Lab, and you've been involved with the big R's, and you you see that as being an important part of this. Clearly, yeah, I do. But uh, sometimes I get a little bit frustrated that uh, yeah, I didn't throw myself into this. I did not seek notoriety. Uh, I I did it on the basis if I could help one more person, I'm happy. Goodbye. Sure. Do you know what I mean? I'll yeah. go back to my own world. Yeah. Um, it was only that more than one person was interested, and which led to me potentially um, kind of touching other other people, and they they were semi interested in my, in my story. Um, but equally, it, it frustrates me that. You know, you, you can look at it from various angles and uh, people in chronic pain, chronic conditions are probably going to get more from another person who's been through that, who's walking the same journey or yeah. has walked the same journey. Yeah. Fact. I would yeah. have thought so. Um, it's okay for me to say, well, what do you know, Jack? You've never been in chronic pain somehow. Why are you advising? Da, da, da. Um, I, I don't think that's relevant apart from the fact that me and you together could help person in chronic pain couldn't we and it's leadership as a patient um is a good term i think that would be a good place to get to a a peer group of patient leaders i think that's a good place to get to isn't it Mm. i think pain leaders on pain management programs so they're kind of spread out people are listening to them but I think there there has to be tempered with some authenticity, some who are these people, we have to be careful type things. You know, have they been on a course to be able to teach on a payment? There are certain questions that we just have to just, just pause a little bit before we start advocating all that sort of direction to go. But I think the patient voice, nobody was interested in me. I didn't expose myself until, until I came across you. And equally there are, you know, the Tinas, the Pete's, the Joe Letters, they're all out there. Who's the guy that was on last week? Yeah, I was going to ask uh, you about yeah. that. Sam. Sam. Y- your Sams who've come forward and, you know, it, it, it's about, there's a groundswell that I think that we create more momentum and making sure these, these people, these patient leaders, let's call them advocates, whatever, are, are in these key places to, to um, you know, shape future um work particularly you know big r's is a great example policy research um because just having that sort of patient in room the voice it kind of brings it to life doesn't it yeah it it paints a real real, picture i mean hopefully if people listen to me you've seen a real patient this is this is the reality of chronic pain and mental health stuck in one bloody person um the only difference between me and the patient that walk in your clinic this afternoon is is the level of pain and the you know the the the, the level of mental health whatever that is we're all different sure. and we're all dealing with it slightly different yeah you um, don't, and that's the thing we don't want to be lumping things in and stereotyping it needs to be teased out the individual variables that end of of one situation yeah. i want to just touch on the you'd, you'd listen to the podcast with sam we did the live stream and um 
how did it how did it feel for him to to speak so fondly of and and how he was only here because of people like yourself being brave to bring those things forward? How, yeah. did, how did that feel to you? Yeah, I mean, it's good to listen to. It's always good when there's some reflection on that. Oh, I heard you on this and 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 all that sort of stuff. But the um, yeah, no surprises. His story, everything resonated right. with me, and and scarily, it was like yeah, great. Could have probably written it all down before you said it, Sam, because unfortunately that's just the way it is. And mm. there's so many of us um, going through the or have been through the same system. And you know, the fact that he found movement then to be this thing he could do, and it wasn't impeding him, and he could carry on cycling and doing the things he enjoyed. You know, getting back to these 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 values that he'd stopped doing cycling. It's great, but where did he get? Where did the fear factor creep in? Who's responsible for that, and why are they bloody still doing it? Um, uh, yeah. You know this credible place, the credible physios, the credible um, organisations that can be trusted, that these people can go to, that I can go to straight away, mm. uh, rather than oh, Fred's physio down the road. Somebody said he's a pretty good on backs, I'll go to them, throw your money in, has it rich has it achieved the right outcome? Who who can we trust? You know, where do we go to? Um because like me, when I first started, I just went to the local physio. Mm-hmm. Then I went to another one. Then I went to the osteo. Then to the Cairo. And they was all talking the same sort of language, which was very risk averse, very you need to you can't you won't be able to do this anymore. You might need more surgery before you eventually find um, people who can really, really help you and move you on. Yeah, we need to find ways to improve the upstream. And, and that brings me to a question that I think will move us towards the end zone a little bit, which is this, what should MSK professionals do better? And I want to ask on an individual level, on a group level, and then on an organisational and operational level. Uh, obviously, we, we declare our biases together in the fact that we're uh, involved and invested in, in the big R's movement as to one of those routes, and we can yeah. talk about that. But um, obviously, I haven't I don't catch up with you about big R's stuff mm-hmm. on, a, on a super regular basis. So what do you feel is the, the, the way we can, we can move forward on those levels of analysis? I think individual M- M- uh, physios, um, they, they could look, look at themselves and think, you know, have I, have I got the requisite knowledge, skills and understanding about these sort of diverse subjects that kind of Adrian McGregor is talking about right now? Right. The patient walks in, which might seem just a traditional MSK issue that could equally be, be, be fueled by other things this person is doing or not doing. So, you know, if they, if, if they themselves don't know enough about nutrition, food, fuel, if they themselves don't know enough about sleep, hygiene, if they themselves don't know enough about some of the tree huggery, mindfulness, meditation, etc., they're all very good tools that could help that, that patient. And if they don't, well, how can they get better? How can they take personal responsibility for upping their game? Can they be mentored? Can they go on a course through the organisations themselves? So um, I don't think they need to to dodge the bullet and be passed on from one so-called expert to the other. These are pretty basic skills, knowledge, that you should be living your life like that. Anyway, if I went to an, an MSK physio, I would probably be expecting them to, you know, be at a certain level and doing some of these things themselves. Because mm. if your sleep was shit and your nutrition was shit, 
well, why would you be advising that to me, even though that would help with my chronic pain? Um, so next level organizationally, uh, I am involved in the big R's. And one of the subjects that I uh, am very interested in is the influencing that that the organization, the, the physiotherapy fraternity, the MSK industry can influence more. And it's more so about the, the mixed, the bad messages that, that crop up out there that, that don't do people like me any good. You know, the media message, the, the, the uh, article in the newspaper, which all adds fuel to this certain way of doing things. Um, so more influence, the right influence. Um, I spoke earlier about, you know, almost like a single repository that, that uh, a patient can go to, a hub. Um, so I haven't got to kind of keep finding my way and navig navigating my way through this system. Education is always going to be the on the agenda, isn't it? You know, mm. is there more training, pre postgraduate training that can help in these some of areas that we talk about, particularly the mental health issues. So I think there's there's lots to do, and it, there's there's no fighting required. I don't think any part of the MSK industry should feel a bit, oh, why are they saying this when they should be doing this, etc. I just think a bit of unity is required on this patient front, yeah. particularly on coming from a patient perspective, I wouldn't want to see parts of the organisation fractured because you, you, you're actually saying, that I would think, saying the same thing. It's a case of how you're going to get get there as opposed to what, what you're going to say. Um, uh, we, we, we've all seen outcomes, um, you know, from, from various research. And I dare say there's still research coming out um, that... that should be listened to that should be being followed by physiotherapists you know when it's supposed to cascade it's all, all way down mm. yeah they're still not doing it yeah so you know whatever whatever the research say it's lower back pain um how many years does that take then to manifest it manifest its way into change at physiotherapy level rather than still doing the same stuff they was taught 25 30 years ago mm. even though the research whatever that is says that we don't do that anymore and I think it's not quick enough from flash to bang. Yeah, because I'm definitely, I'm definitely with you on all of that, and that feeds into you know where we where we we share values. I think, but also, I don't want tribal factions splintering, and I want to, you know, as I always say, just make the circle bigger so that then people can feel involved and included. There's been this broad coalition consensus that we're trying to create, and made some mistakes in that direction. But the key thing seems to be that agreeing on analysis tends to be an easier thing to find common ground on across the board. As soon as you start to get into the mechanisms of action or how you might go about trying mm. to solve said or propose solutions to that, then people start to be... that. That's where, unfortunately, more, it's, for my opinion, difficult to keep that broad coalition going because people have very vested interest in styles or... Yeah, styles of dialogue or mechanisms or institutions and organisations that they like that that methodology. Mm. Um, whereas being so new as we are and going about things from this truly embryonic sort of group of people uh, that that tend to then just try to expand it from then is is such an interesting phenomena that we seem to be you know keep keeping together. But I think it seems to be that's a wedge issue really is that it tends to be types of 
ways in which we go forward with it tends yeah. to upset people more than the analysis does. But like there's a lot of people that seem to agree. We're more into variation. Let's have evidence based reform. Let's yeah, the Lancet report. Everybody agrees on that. But why? How do why we they do it? <laughs> yeah. How do we get it out there? Yeah. Um, do you think on that um, on that level? Do you think that um, patients? Um, how do I word this? Do, how much do patients need to be treated with kid gloves in this space? How much do you, we need to recognise the that we can't necessarily approach things as as broadly and, and blatantly as we might do with interprofessionally? But how much do we need to not condescend and and, and treat patients with with kid, kid gloves if they're being involved in that conversation? Because that's a balancing act anyway. Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of don't suffer from that because I've I've always been made to feel my status as a patient. It's not lower than anybody else's. It's it, quite rightly i believe you've elevated a patient and i'm not the only one there's other patients involved in the big arts you've, ele you've elevated the patient to where they should be front and center and that's what that's what the big r's must do in the future yeah. you know and i dare say that and i'm sure it will progress if a patient is not front and center in everything you do why are you doing it jack that's what <laughs> i'd ask you and i'm sure sure they will be um but Treating a patient with kid gloves, I think that's probably been the undoing of of, of the way, where we are. Right. Is that okay. you know it's it's too complex to understand it, or let, let's just give them, let's feed them the things that they understand. See degenerative changes, L five S one, facet joint arthritis, mild. That's all you need to know. Do these exercises. That's old. That that won't work anymore now because we've got a generation of people who probably want to know more and do more and try more things that mm. go beyond the traditional, um, you know, pharmaceutical route, sure. core exercises, they're going to be wanted, wanted to try things like Kratom. They're going to be wanted to try things like cannabis. Yeah. They're going to be wanting to um, do a single retreat of meditation and, and whatever. There's such a, a diverse range of tools that can be used for chronic pain. Um, you know, I don't want to focus on any exercise at all. I'm just going to go on and ch completely change my sleep and my nutrition. That's all I'm going to do for chronic pain. Will it work? Is it scientifically proven? Well, I think there's enough to go on to prove that we can get some good mileage from that. Well, who's going to help with that? Who's going to hold the patient's hand and take them through that? Because patients will start to get more information, you know, that... The World Wide Web has opened up to all these sort of things that are out there, like they did with me. And I think, God, that makes sense that. I'm going to try that. Yeah. If it doesn't work, great. And then you're trying 100 things and 500 things. And before you know it, you've stopped thinking about back pain. Sure. And do we, do we have a system that suits this, this um, individual approach that you're describing? Or do we have a system that's, that's trying to lump people into diagnostic categories? Or pathways, or hierarchies, or pyramids, in such a way as you still. I think it, I think it's all out there, Jack. It, 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 it's still all out there, which can be a good thing and a bad thing. So some some people will get the single trajectory, you know, linear route GP. Da, 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 da. You got other people very quickly put through um, pain management, and they're on a pain management program, which I think is a very strong route where if you can get someone, if you can get a patient onto that route pretty quick, they've got a good fighting chance, right. especially, especially if it's a real good quality, effective pain management program, whatever that looks like. And sure. again, I think patients should be fully involved in, 
in coming up with oh, that blueprint. Say, well, you're working on it, aren't Because you? if you can get on that, you're already getting access to the, some of the subjects we've talked about today. You've got the cognitive flexibility upgrade. You've got the nutrition upgrade. You've got the sleep. Now, some people already go with that knowledge, but they're getting bolt-ons from all these other subjects that they think, well, what's that got to do with chronic pain? Yeah, it's not bolt-on, it's integrated. By the That's end of the eight saying. weeks... You'll think, shit, why didn't I think? Why didn't I try some of these before? Because at the moment, if you push down the other route, you'll eventually get there, but you'll try a very, you know, musculoskeletal exercise, try these drugs, you know, graded exposure, and then you you eventually might find some benefit or you might not. Um, so it's early it's early demedicalization, um, which I know you and Pete Moore agree on quite a lot with regards to getting there, yeah. getting there fairly swiftly and making self management or pain management not a not a dirty word or not a last chance. It should yeah. be something that's considered. Well, as soon as you as soon as you can get someone off that uh, mental block of uh, you know the old red flags. Get, a, get it all out of the way quickly. They might need surgery. Sure. Surgery might benefit from, from uh, yeah. you know, and we are looking at the kind of analysis and, and the benefit of, of successive spinal surgery, et cetera, which we all know. Quick, you can get them off that conveyor belt. Right, let's take it down. This other one, the better, and I think um, outcomes will be achieved a lot quicker by pushing them down. But the, the only problem is, as I, as I see it, is that the, the speed, the transition is so slow. Before someone, and it took me, God knows how long to get on the first pain management sure. program. It took me a year to see mm-hmm. Dominic Crowley. Um, I say to the people who, who come to, to the, the Connect one, you're bloody lucky to, you're very fortunate. Congratulations. You've just landed on something pretty good here. Right. And, and I say that from a patient. I am selling anything for Connect. Mm-hmm. But sure. I say you're fortunate and the team and what you get out of the eight weeks. And, um, yeah, it's transformed the lives. Some yeah. of them, honestly. They, they've been on medication. I was, you know, I listened to one lady the other day. She'd been on a particular medication um, for years and she didn't have come off it. And uh, you see people, when you start to add up all the morphine that they're on, yeah, it's scary, absolute uh, scary. Yeah. And and this poly poly pharmaceutical what's the word i'm looking for polypharmacy, yeah polypharmacy it's like oh, staggering and um and it's not just that it, it's then they come in and they're moving more the sleeping more you know when you start going a bit anarchy and talking about kind of sleep hygiene and blue blocker glasses and blackout blinds and not eating before so you know and you explain about melatonin and all these sort of things and it's a massive eye-opener for them but it takes too long from flash to bang. Ah, I see what you mean. No, for sure. Now, to, to bring that, to tie that in a bow then, uh, we said that we we're part of the reason we were going to wade into the topics as we have done today uh, is because it's Mental Health Week. And you also said just before we came on air, you said it's not your style to usually then use that as a, as a, a way to write. It's Mental Health Week, therefore I'm banging this drum. And so it made me formulate this question, which is, um, is just further increased awareness and destigmatization of mental health issues uh, a, a, a pure force for good? Or is there something that sometimes you do feel for you to have worded the point as you did when you came in? Is there a, is there a downside to that where sometimes it seems to be a bit tokenistic or trendy at the moment? Uh, it could be. I mean, it, it, as well as talking about mental health this week, there's a big push on talking about the menopause. Uh, if you listen to BBC, it's all this week. You know, 
And, and these things kind of raise the head, depending on normally a celebrity will bring it out in a book or talk about it, or you'll have the specific week. Um, and it, it then will go back to its rightful place of just it's part of life. Uh, yeah. But I, I do think you know raising the profile, and and I'll, and I'll not use the mental health. I'll use the menopause debate at the moment. That it, it's it could be seen as as a chronic condition, but equally there are fixes out there besides taking you know um, recognised medication uh, and the same sort of tools and techniques would probably could be used such as good sleep, you know, nutrition, movement, etc. So the way that we deal with a lot of these conditions or, you know, or could be advocated in, in managing some of these conditions would be the same for my chronic back pain. Mm. And, and it, it would be nice for a consistent message that's always there, but where can I get? Rather than a person who just wrote a book, so I'll go and buy the book and read it. Right. I should be able to get this information, this consistent, recognised, you know, tried, tested, measured, whatever you want to say, this place I go to, to that I've always got the information. And integrated when it's relevant then. Yeah. You're suggesting that, that that should be, there should be more cards on the table all the time. All the rather time. Rather than it being, one talk off. about these cards yeah. in March. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I see what you mean. No, that's a really, really interesting point for sure. Is there anything else you'd like to add for the listeners before we wrap things up? No, just again, thanks for inviting me up. And um, as I say, if, if anybody wants to connect with me or talk to me and don't troll me or rubbish me on twitter please <laughs> get really offended by that uh, and, yeah. and i'm going to work on that kardashian index should i should i, should I get something published is that what i've got to do apparently that's what, the, what shall that's i do it on? i don't know I'd, I'd, I'd be open i'm sure everyone would be open to you publishing Bit of research. Anything, but i know we've got we've got obviously you've been working behind the scenes very hard on the uh the Big R's Manifesto, which comes out in yeah. the autumn time. Yeah. And um, and so that, that can be certainly uh, your first publication on, on there. But then following that, we'll definitely be giving opportunity to show everyone's workings out, <laughs> what's underneath the policy proposals that come forward. Yeah. And I yeah. think that that's probably going to be where I imagine we'll be we'll getting your words onto, onto written word rather than just the spoken word on the podcast, for sure. Yeah. I think that'd be a, a great help. And thank you so much for all the work you've been doing with patients no, no as well. Problem. It's fantastic. And you, you do invite invite the the challenge i know that it's probably worth us mentioning as, as a bit of an aside um that following our first podcast uh, when you put yourself out there that's then inspired patient matters and as you've seen with sam and others that there um, you, you've really opened that door to those conversations but also it's been it's been suggesting you have had to face some criticism as we both have for the suggestion that uh, you were an aspiring celebrity patient that sought out an, an aspiring celebrity physio as if that was something integral to your motives. Now, we've spoken about the fact, and you sort of alluded to it earlier, that that, that isn't a fair analysis and you can't recognise that. But, but was, that, was that something that was easy to shrug off or was that something that did, you know, could have contributed to your anxiety? Well, the only downside with coming on here last time is that, you know, because you, you, you think, well, what's next from here? You put yourself on a platform, I'll use this momentum to get more, to say more, to do more what I think. And the reality is that, 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 that Twitter in particular can equally put a big foot on the back of your neck and give you a good slap occasionally, uh, especially when people out there think that you're talking from a, um, a physio expert perspective. I mean, a lot of people out there did actually think that that's the world I'm from. They right. didn't realise I'm just an absolute nobody. <laughs> 
you know, who's got frigging back pain, who's wasted loads of money having surgery, took everything under the bloody sun, and has still got chronic back pain, and you're just looking for a way out. Right. They think I'm some kind of physio, and I, and I did take a little bit of a, a, a slapping occasionally on Twitter, to the point where I don't really go on it anymore, because I wasn't getting what I wanted out of it. It, 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 it. it didn't become the vehicle for me trying to help other people, sure. real people. Sure. I don't give a shit about the person who sits doing research all day. Yeah. You know, I, I care about the people who potentially will be going through what I've gone through right. and to try and help them and for, for them to see that, you know, they can talk to me, they can write to me. Anytime I'll, I'll respond to it to say there's hope there's real hope out there. One, you can do it for yourself. Two, find someone, and again, I'm sat in front of you, like your Jack Chews, or any of the many other people I've come across in the, in the Big R's movement. They're all very very similar. Um, but they're, they're a good protocol, but equally there are other people out there who you should listen to. You know, I mean, I, I don't really want to mention too many names. That pe- people who produce really good stuff, Ben, ben Cormack, people like that, and I, I've just said his name because... They've done the homework, they've done the research, and they put it across in a very simple way where you think, I understand that as a patient. I'll signpost you to them. Go and look at their stuff. And I'll also signpost them to the people not to go to because I've had a bad rap. So you can juxtapose it to to the good and the... Yeah, but to answer your question, yeah, I've kind of dipped away from it all and you could say, well, no, you should because of, you know, you've got a voice, etc. I think if people are interested in anything I've got to say, anything at all, well, approach me and I'll come and talk to you. I'll present to you. I'll come to you. But I ain't sticking my view on Twitter because it's going to get me nowhere. Yeah, sure. I mean, you, it makes sense to double down on priorities of where you feel you've got the most benefit. Yeah. So you've been contributing through the big R's, through Q Lab. You've been doing this with Connect and the Pain Management. The Q Lab's been a good, good thing so as well. You've definitely been, been, been contributing in many ways, and so that's the thing as well. I wanted to make sure that I touched on is that you shouldn't feel obliged to to do everything or to comply with normal traits of of, of what social media is out there. It's when I unleash the beast, I think, oh, I've got to comment on that. (laughs) It's tempting, isn't it? It's tempting, for sure. And so on, on that point then, how would you, if say, as you're giving your views in whatever context that you're giving them, if someone was to have a, um, certainly not a dismissive or troll-like attitude, but if someone was to just disagree with you on on something, or on a position that you hold, how would you feel is most appropriate for them to, to do that? And and do you feel that that is also important, that they, again, don't treat you with kid gloves because yeah, yeah, you no, should be treated no. as an individual? No, I mean, as an individual, I've put myself forward and I've made the comment and, and Twitter is, is, is vital to be able to exchange that that dialogue mm. but I, I i do think it has to be tempered with one they understand who i am and where i'm coming from mm. um and you know they may have the benefit of, of a particular role that they're doing they may, they may very much research analyst focused as a result of, uh, as opposed to somebody who's a practitioner mm-hmm. you know what i mean the, the, you can have a completely different view on this um but yeah, in the first instance, I'd ask them to question themselves how how much and how much how many times have they had a patient involvement in anything that they've done in the last six to twelve months right. before they come to any conclusions such as research, such as ways of doing things. Yeah. I'm not about as a patient. I'm about actually sit and talk to a patient right. about what they think. Yeah. And then then if you still want to make that comment, fine. But do do they? 
ever spend lots of time talking to people like Adrian McGregor who've had chronic pain for however many years and all the things I've tried and tested, mm. uh, as opposed to, um, you know, they, they, their mindset will be pretty fixed on, well, the research says this, so therefore this is the way it has to be. Sure, yeah. Um, and that's not the real world. Well, it's, it's, it's always going to be likely that people make mistakes and end up being flippant if they are if they're feeling flippant and, and, and cocksure as to how the world should be or how the world works. I suppose when you are in your pain management programs and stuff like that... Is, That's the is, real world. Is, well, yeah. And is that? And I imagine when you're challenged in those circumstances, that's something that you would invite. You invite questions and yeah. it's not as if it's a my way or the highway. Yeah. Um, it's just sometimes difficult isn't it, in different contexts to, to translate that through. When we yeah. need, I think we're learning, aren't we, as we go through this big ours. It's a multidisciplinary process with patients at the heart of it where we're trying to explore it all together. And then the, the cheesy name badges that we use for the unique, interesting individual thing, it's like it's hard for us sometimes to stick yeah. by that, isn't it? Yeah. Because sometimes the special interests sort of prevail. Mm. And, and I think we, it's a, whilst a noble pursuit, we, we're not here to pretend it's easy, are we? we know no, we're, we're no, all exploring. In that yeah. together. I mean, the, the, the mere fact that we're having the conversation is just a great sign of the progress that's been made. Sure. Because a year ago, where was I? Yeah. Right? Well, yeah. we was not long ago sat in my front room. Yeah. Well, and admittedly, where was where was I? Unfortunately, starting to feel increasingly like I was talking about problems and proposing micro level solutions to things that I was hoping someone else would pick up. Whereas now we're enacting change and, and taking action uh, as best we can on a broad level through the big R's and, yeah. and using it as hopefully what will emerge as a, what we're calling the grassroots think tank into 2020 with something yeah. that's a central document to sort of saying, this is our best guess as it stands, our working hypothesis as to what would be better than the status quo. And it's uh, it's hugely humbling that you continue to contribute to that. So no thank problem. you so much. Thanks, Jack. Really Thanks appreciate it.